Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Well, as we've read in the passage here this morning, it's a very interesting uh, description of what God asked for this prophet to do. What he does is he, he tells the prophet, take a stick, grab a stick and write upon it for Judah. So he just looks around, sees a stick on the ground, he takes up a stick and he, and he writes in the stick the words for Judah. And then God says, now take another stick. And he picks up another stick and, and God tells him, write on that stick for Joseph. So the prophet grabs another stick and he writes on the stick for Joseph. So now he's got two sticks, one in each hand. One says for Judah and one says for Joseph. And God tells him the instruction for what he is supposed to do. What he's supposed to do is you're supposed to take these two sticks and you're supposed to put them together. Just take the two broken sticks that are separated, put them back together, and they will become one stick in your hand. It's a small miracle, but one that represents a big miracle that God did for the nation of Israel. Right? Because the history of the nation of Israel was the nation was broken into two. And here, God prophesied, one day I will take these two nations that were broken apart and I will bring them back together again as a single nation. And I believe that we see that here just in real life, right? In the 1900s, right after World War II ended, you see that the nation of Israel is reunited again as one nation. God worked a wonderful miraculous work with the nation of Israel. And I think there's a lesson here that we can learn about relationships. Because Ezekiel chapter 37 is about revival. It's about reviving the nation of Israel. And we're here taking a look at personal revival. And we're going to take a look at revival for relationships. We're going to take a look at revival and what it can do for the relationships that you have. Because the history of humanity really is a lot of broken relationships, right? Broken relationships between a man and a woman. Broken relationships between parents and children. Broken relationships between friends. Relationships between leaders of nations and things like that. And if you want to really boil down everything in terms of why do relationships break down, it's because of one thing, it's pride. That's the one thing that it is. There's sin there that comes in the form of pride. Proverbs chapter 13, verse number 10. Only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride cometh contention. You know why there's contention in your relationships? Maybe a contention between a wife, between a father and a son, between friends, between coworkers and a boss and an employee. Well, it's because of pride. That's really what it is, but really we're going to take a look at this whole sequence of, well, we know at this point that the nation was broken up into two, but it didn't start as broken. It started as one nation, right? It was just one nation together, and then it was broken up. And I want to take a look at some of the reasons why relationships break up. Why is it that this nation even broke up into two? So you have your fingers there in 1 Kings chapter number 12. I want you to turn there with me now. 
We're going to take a look at a number of different verses. The context of 1 Kings chapter 12 is, of course, that David had been king, and he was king for a long time. He was king for 40 years, and then he handed off the kingship to his son Solomon. Solomon was king there in the nation of Israel, and now we are taking a look at Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Rehoboam is now the grandson of David, and now he has become king. So we're going to take a look at this. And so Rehoboam has now just become king, and the, the nation comes to Rehoboam through the form of their spokesman, Jeroboam. Jeroboam comes to Rehoboam as the spokesman for the people, and he says, Rehoboam, we have a request. Solomon, he built a great empire. I mean, the temple is fabulous. The king's house, his palace is fabulous. And our nation is wealthy and we're doing really well. And, and we have a lot of uh, wonderful things, but you've been taxing us way too much. The burden is too heavy. If you will ease the burden, then, then we'll serve you. And so this is the context that we get into here in 1 Kings chapter number 12. And I see then the very first reason why relationships break down, and I, I call it the, the rule of rulership, meaning who's in charge. So in verse number four, you see this petition of the people. Thy father made our yoke grievous. He gave us a heavy burden of taxes and work and labor. And so now, therefore, make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke, which he put upon us, lighter. And we will serve thee. Verse number seven, and they spake unto him, these are, are, are the people, saying, if thou wilt be a servant unto this thy people, this day these are the counselors of the king, and will serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. So here's the principle is that the people have come to the king, and he says, if you will serve us, by lightening the load of the burden of service and giving and taxes, then we will serve you. If you serve us, then we will serve you. And the, the king advisors, who were advisors to his dad, said, that's right. If you will serve the people, the people will serve you forever. Now, if you know the story, Rehoboam didn't like that plan, did he? Rehoboam didn't want to be the one to serve the people. Right? Rehoboam is, I'm the king. You know what kings do? Kings get to tell everybody else what to do, right? And so Rehoboam, he says, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to serve the people. I'm going to make it worse. Even. And we'll get into that in just a few moments. But here we see a great principle of if you want others to serve you, you need to first serve them. If you want other people to serve you, you need to first serve them. You've heard the phrase, too many chefs in the kitchen, right? You ever have too many chefs in the kitchen? You ever have too many people who want to be in charge? Everybody wants to tell everybody else what to do. Hey, I got an, an, idea, an idea, we should do this. And somebody else says, no, that's a bad idea, we should do this. And everybody wants to be in charge. Everyone wants to tell everybody else what they ought to do. And what happens is when everybody wants to be the boss, guess what? Nobody does anything, right? Nothing happens. And you know what? Everybody just gets upset because, hey, I'm in charge. You're not in charge. I'm in charge. And the other guy's like, you're not in charge. I'm in charge. And, and it just becomes a great conflict. You can't have two heads at the very top. There's only room for one. 
And that's why a servant's heart is important. It's important to have that kind of a servant's heart. Amen? Even if you're the one that's the leader, you need to have a servant's heart. Hey, even if you're the, if you're the man of the house, you're the husband, you're the father, you're the de facto leader as God has positioned you as the leader of the home, you still need to have a servant's heart. Amen? Amen. You might be the boss of your company, but if you want your employees to work and to do well, you got to serve them, don't you? you got to do well to them, and you got to serve them and give them some help and give them some benefits. And Philippians chapter 2, verse number 3, gives us a great picture of the servant's heart that we all need to have if we're going to avoid having some broken relationships. Verse number 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in love. Each esteem other better than themselves. Verse number four, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Hey, don't just look about what you, uh, on the things that you want from other people and how they could help you. Look also on what other people need. Verse four, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is important. This started at the very top, didn't it? Jesus is Savior. He's God, is he not? He's at the very top. He is the one that started with this servant mindset, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know, one of the reasons why the nation of Israel struggled, they broke up into two, is because you had a king who wanted to be in charge, and you had some people that wanted to be in charge, and you had Jeroboam who wanted to be in charge. Everybody wanted to be in charge, and nobody wanted to serve. The people didn't want to serve, the king didn't want to serve, and because of that, you have a broken relationship. And you can see that in homes, where you have one side doesn't want to be serving, you have in companies where somebody doesn't want to participate and serve in the way that they ought to, and because they're not serving and they expect other people to serve them, there's a broken relationship. You can see that. The second reason I see is because of roughness or being too rough. Verse number 10. And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him. So King Rehoboam, Right, If you caught with the story, he went to his dad's advisors. So his dad was Solomon, the wisest man, right? I'm sure that his advisors were also very wise, right? Because the wisest man is not going to put up with fools as his counselors, right? So he's got some very wise men that are giving counsel. And he goes to them and he says, what do you They said, as we read, if you will serve the people, they will serve you forever. And he says, okay. And then he goes to his friends, peers, the guys that he grew up with. You know, they went to elementary school together. Maybe they went to high school together. They went to college together. The young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, now they're going to give different counsel. Thus shalt thou speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, thy father made our yoke heavy. But make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. And now whereas my father did lay you with heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. 
My father had chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. That's what his friends said, right? <laughs> the, the guys that he grew up with told him to say that. Now, if you're a citizen of the land and your complaint is King Solomon was great, King Solomon was wise, and we're very happy with where our kingdom is now, but we've been carrying this burden of service for a very long time. Like to get the wood for the temple and the palace, tens of thousands of men would go on a rotation to go out to the woods to cut down the trees to bring them back. I mean, this was a, a not voluntary service. You were elected to this, and you just had to leave your family and go work, and they had heavy taxes. And, and this, was, this is a heavy burden that's been going on for decades. And, and so they're tired of this. And so they said, if you will just make it a little bit easier for us, we'll serve you. That's your complaint. And the response you get is, oh, God, it was difficult under my dad. Let me show you what it really means to me. You think that's going to go over well? You think that people are going to be like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. I thought that, you know, it was really tough. But we realize now it's pretty easy. We're really going to buckle down. No, they're going to be like, what are you talking about? It was way too heavy. We're not sticking around for this. And that's what happened. The people ended up leaving because of that. He was way too hard and harsh on the people. Isn't that very opposite of what Jesus does for us? Right? King Rehoboam says, you thought your yoke was heavy? I'm going to make it heavier. You know what Jesus said? Come unto me, and I will give you a yoke that is light. Hey, I'm going to make it easier for you. Hey, I'm going to work alongside of you. Hey, if you're heavy, if you're burdened down, if you're weighed down, come to me. I'll make your burden lighter. That's what Jesus said. And it's important that if you're going to have these good relationships, you've got to be kind and gentle. Amen? You got to learn to use kind and gentle words, Titus chapter 3, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing meekness unto all men. Colossians chapter 3, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against thee. If anybody, anybody ever has an argument against you or they're trying to bring something up, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Hey, that's a great example that will help us in our relationships, amen? It will help us to revive some relationships if we would just be willing to forgive others the way that Christ forgave us, amen? Instead of saying, well, you did this to me, now I'm going to do this back if we have the same attitude of Christ and say, you know what, I'm going to be gentle, I'm going to be kind, I'm going to be willing to forgive, hey, we can have a revival of relationships. Thirdly, what I see is reputation. Thinking about what others thought of. This is something that I think is kind of implied here. But Rehoboam's granddad was David. You know what David did? David killed Goliath. That's how he started as a young man. I mean, he started off great. I mean, he was an amazing man from the beginning. He was a shepherd boy that became king. He was greatly revered. I mean, you see the name David over and over and again as the example. I mean, that's his great David. You know who his dad was? It was Solomon, the wisest 
man to live. I mean, everybody knew about the wisdom of Solomon. The queen of Sheba came and she said, you know what? I heard about this Solomon guy. Everybody says that he's so wise, but I, I really want to see if he's really wise. And she got up the biggest, most difficult riddles that she could come up with, and Solomon answered every single one of them. And she was amazed, and she said, the half was not told me. I didn't even know the half of it. That was his dad. And then you got Rehoboam. You think Rehoboam feels a little pressure? You think it feels a little pressure to like live up to the name? Hey, you're Solomon's son, you're David's grandson. And, and I think a big evidence of this is the fact that after he asks advice of his dad's advice, to his friends. Don't you think that his friends, he's trying to impress his friends? Right? He grew up with them. I mean, they were just friends, buddies, growing up together. Now he's the king. Now his friends are looking at him. Like, hey, man, you're the king now. What are you going to do? And I think that he felt pressure to prove to his friends, yeah, I'm the king. Yeah, I'm the big man here in the nation. Hey, I'm going to tell everybody what to do. And I, I think that there was a sense of he was trying to prove to his friends that he had a reputation to kind of uphold. That he thought more about what his friends thought, more about what other people thought, than about doing what was right. I think every single one of us has uh, these moments where we think about, you know, uh, the impression that we make people. You know, if you invite people over to your home, what happens about 30 minutes to an hour before all the guests come over? What happens? You're taking all of the things from the living room floor and you're opening up the closet and you're tossing everything inside the closet, amen? And you're closing up all the bedroom doors and, and you're tidying up everything, right? Three days out of the year, it just looks normally, but those five days that you got over, man, you got to polish everything, you're dusting everything down, right? You know, you're putting everything away, putting everything in the closets and making sure everything is nice and clean. You want, you want to give a great impression. Everybody wants to give a great impression. You know, I think social media is a great trap for people who are trying to just impress other people and give a great impression. How many of us have been guilty, if you're on social media, you're at a place where you want to post it on social media, you were there, you took a picture, you looked at the picture, and you said, oh no, it is, it's just not quite perfect, you know, my face is just whatever, there's a hair in the wrong place, take another picture. You take another picture, and then you take a look, and you say, oh, no, this person over there is blinking. You take another picture, and another picture, and another picture. And then even that perfect picture, you take it into your photo app, and you start editing it a little bit, right? You've got to make the colors a little bit brighter, and you've got you to edit everything, you know? Is that real life? That's not real life. That's your edited life. We look at everybody else's life like, wow, look at how, what an amazing life that they live. Except you don't know that they pushed off everything off to the side, all of the garbage that's around them, just outside of the picture frame. They took the picture, and, and it looks great. It looks wonderful. But we need to be careful of that. We need to be careful that our social life does not become who we really are. Amen? Who you really are. And remember this people are on social media is not who they really are either. Amen? That's not who they really are. That's not who they really are. I know people on 
social. I'm on social. I know the way that they live, and I'm like, whoa, that's a that's a really great picture. That's not how you normally live. <laughs> that's not how you normally do it. But we, we want to show people the best side of us, don't we? We want to impress other people. And we, we feel like there's this a reputation that we need to uphold. You know, even Paul, chapter 2, he was talking about witnessing to people. And in verse 2, he says, And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. He went out and he preached the gospel, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had in vain. Paul understood that these people that were famous or uh, in positions of power or popular, that they were always thinking about what other people thought. So he didn't preach to them. He took them aside. And he took them into a private place, and, and maybe they would go into a room and just have a meeting, he and them. And he would witness to them in private where they didn't have to think about what other people thought. They received the gospel and listened to what Paul had to say. And this is one of the most damaging things to relationships, when you think more about what other people think than about doing what is right. That's going to damage your relationships, Amen. Amen? It's going to damage your relationship when you're looking around and thinking about what everybody else is going to think and instead of doing what is right. Usually what I see is receiving or taking instead of giving. Hey, that's going to break some relationships. Verse number 18. This is after King Rehoboam went to the people of his friends and Jeroboam and the people what do we have to do with David? We're going to leave you. And often they formed their own name. Verse 13, though, says this. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram. Who's Adoram? Well, he is over the tribute. You know what he's in charge of? He's in charge of taxes. All right? He's not the most popular guy, is he? All right? His job is to collect taxes. So after the people have left, Rehoboam still saying, hey, you owe me taxes. And so he sent his head tax collector out there. Now, what do you think the head tax collector's reception is going to be? You know what the reception is of the people? And all Israel stoned him with stones that he died. All right? Not exactly a great reception. Therefore, King Rehoboam made speed to get him up to his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Rehoboam, even after all of this, seeing the reception is still thinking, I'm the king, you give to me. His mentality is taking instead of giving. Now, the principle, of course, is that we should give first and then receive. Amen? We ought to give first and then receive. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, or the amount that you measure out to give to others, with all it shall be measured to you. Give first and then receive. Again, there's the example of Jesus Christ, right? He gave himself first in order to receive us. Amen. He gave first and then we give. We love because he first loved us. And there's a great principle there in relationships, which is in the relationships that we have, the other person should be doing for us 
and we think less about what we should be doing for them. All right? Here's a common trap of young people. They're single. They're looking to get married. And uh, they have an idea of what they want in a spouse. Right? You have a list. I'm not against lists. A list. I want her to be this and this and this and all of these things and these qualifications. And she's got to have this personality. She's got to laugh at all and she's got to do all of these things and then she's like well he has to be a multi-millionaire and he's got to be six foot two and 215 looks like a linebacker you know or whatever you know you have all of these lists okay everybody's got a different list I'm just making up lists but everybody's got a list right everybody has a list but those of you that are in that situation or in that situation at least consider this how many of you considered what is that I should have that I can give to my spouse. Right? How many of us consider that? Right? Well, she should be this way, and she should do this, and he should do this, and he should look like this, and he should do that. Well, what about me? Right? If I want her to look like this, shouldn't I look like this? If I want her to do that, shouldn't I do that? If, if whatever qualifications you have, shouldn't, shouldn't you also have qualifications and really what God desires out of relationships is instead of thinking what the other person should do for us we should think about what we should be doing for the other person right Ephesians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 6 gets down to uh, the most basic and common relationships husband and wife parents and children boss and employees right you have those relationships and it's interesting the way that God phrases the instruction to each of those individuals. Verse number 22 of Ephesians 5. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Amen, wives? Amen. <laughs> all right? This is the time for you to amen. All right? This is the Bible. Amen? <laughs> we have to amen the Bible. Wives, submit yourselves. Unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, before we forget, husbands, to love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Husbands, amen. Amen. All right. Now, it can be tempting to think, all right, wives, as husbands, we can think wives, wife, you're supposed to submit. And then the wife will say, I'm supposed to submit, you're supposed to love. And the husband says, Well, you submit first, and then I'll love you. And the wife says, if you would just love me, then I would submit. Right? Isn't that how relationships often work? Right? And we, we use the Bible even. Wife, see, the Bible says you ought to submit. And the wife says, you read the Bible. Just you, you stopped reading too early. You need to keep going. Verse number two, you'll get your own instruction. And you know what, what God is trying to say is, husbands, hey, forget about what your wives are supposed to be doing for you. You focus on your job. Right? You focus on your job. Hey, you just do your job. Hey, you stop focusing on what the other person should do for you, and you just focus in on what you should be doing for the other person. Same with wives. Wives are thinking, well, the husband should be doing this, and he's not doing that, and he's got this, and I told him to do all these things, and all of these things, and oh, hold on a second. Wives, you have a job to do. Amen? Do your job. All right, thank you for that amen, wherever it was. <laughs> all right? You have a job to do. you got to do your job. All right, now we're going to get to parents and children. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, 
Amen? All right, the parents said amen. All right, where are the children? The children, you need to say amen at this point, right? Because the Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Amen, parents? <laughs> amen, right? We just Amen, that's the Bible, that's the word of God. Hey, children are supposed to obey. Now, as children, and all like this, every single one of us, we all had imperfect parents, didn't we? Right? Nobody had perfect parents. Has anybody ever had perfect parents? I don't think so. All right, I try my best, but I'm not a perfect parent, I'm aware of that. You know, nobody has perfect parents, and so kids could be like, well, my dad said this, and he made a mistake, and she shouldn't have done that, and, and my mom said this, and all of these things, and, and uh, you, yeah, of course, you could always pick out your faults of, of any individual, but children, you have a job to do, right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, right? Again, the focus is on what is right. Now, parents... And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Amen? All right? It's not just about paying for stuff. Amen? All right? Anybody can pay for stuff. All right? Even the government could pay for stuff. But it takes more than that to be a parent. Amen? Amen? It takes more than that to be a parent. It takes more than just paying for education, more than paying for tutoring, more than paying for food. And, and uh, those things are important. I'm not trying to diminish those things. That's a big part of parenting. But that's not the only part of parenting. In fact, really, when you get to the parenting part of parenting, it's about bringing up in, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so parents have a responsibility. And sometimes it can be frustrating. My kid's not doing this. My kid's not doing that. Hey, parents, we have a job to do. To bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 5. Now we're going to get to employees and, and bosses. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. With fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Right? If you work for somebody, you ought to serve them. Amen? We ought to serve them. Amen? <laughs> We work for them. They pay us money, so we ought to listen to them. Bosses and ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening. All right, Knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. So you have all of these relationships, and God is telling each individual, all right, the other person has their your job. be honest how many of us struggle with our job amen we we struggle with our job don't we have enough trouble just doing our job that we don't have enough time to do our job and supervise the other person to make sure that they're doing their job right i don't have time for that i've got enough trouble with my own job and you have enough trouble with your own job you know what if we would all just do our job wouldn't you think that relationships would be great Amen, wouldn't they be? Hey, if the wives would submit and the husbands would just love, wouldn't that marriage relationship just be great? It would, wouldn't it? And if children would obey and parents would bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, wouldn't those relationships be great? Hey, if the masters, if the bosses 
remembered, hey, you know what? I'm not at the top. God is at the top, and I need to serve God, so I should be kind to my servants in the way that God is kind to me. And the servants, you know, serve the, the bosses and, and things like that. Wouldn't the work relationship be great as well? I, I, that's an important thing. If we focus in on taking instead of giving, well, we're going to have some problems with relationships. Fifthly, what I see is forcing. If you're trying to force it in your relationship, all right? First Kings chapter 12, verse number 21. And when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, all right? He tried to collect the taxes. They killed the tax collector, and he went back home. Uh, Rehoboam went back home. He assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, 104 score thousand chosen men. 1,000 man were warriors to fight against the house of Israel to bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam. You know what Rehoboam's solution was? Oh, you're not going to pay me taxes? Fine. I'm going to make you pay me taxes. I'm going to bring my army, and I'm going to uh, defeat you, and then you're going to give me my taxes. I'm going to force you to give me what I want. Has that ever really worked in relationships? Right? You ever have somebody force you, try to force you to get you to do what they want you to do, hey, that's not a good feeling, right? And doesn't you want to do it less? Amen? <laughs> Can we just be honest? When we find the other person is forcing us to do it, we want to do it less, right? And this comes out in a lot of different areas, you know? There's a lot of fighting that happens because you're trying to force the other person to do what you want them to do, right? And sometimes the words come out mean. Or they come out bad, right? A lot of belittling happens in this area, right? That you're putting down the other person because you want them to feel small so that they'll do what you want them to do. You call them names or you use different, not you, but, you know, people will use names and, and they'll belittle people. They'll emotionally abuse them, arguing. One of the worst ones is manipulation. You'll try to manipulate the person into doing what you want them to do. Oh, that's a very dangerous. Amen? Manipulation is very dangerous. It's very bad. And especially when the other person finds out that you're manipulating them, they will never trust you again, will they? They just can't. Because they thought that you were doing it out of the goodness of your heart. They thought that you were being kind. You were being gentle. You were thinking about them. And when you realize that they were just manipulating you into getting what they wanted, you're not going to trust them, are you? You're not going to do what they want you to do, no matter how good it sounds, no matter how much they make it seem and sell it, like, oh, I'm really trying to do you something good, it's not going to work, is it? Because you know that deep down in that heart, they're just trying to get something out of you. And it doesn't feel good. And it doesn't work. And, and you, we can really go down the line of all these different tactics that you and I in our flesh might use in order to try to get the other person to do what we want them to do for us. First Peter chapter 5, verse number 2 gives this warning. Feed the flock of God, speaking to the elders there in the churches, which is among you, not by constraint, but willingly. Don't force them to do it have them do it willingly. James chapter 4 verse number 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not then, hence even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust 
and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. So here, here is James addressing the believers and he's saying, you all are fighting amongst yourselves because you have all of these desires that you want to have and you're fighting with each other because you're trying to get what you want. The last thing that I see is a reason why relationships break up is because of fear. Now we're going to switch to the other side. So we've seen five reasons or five things that Rehoboam did. Now we're going to take a look at Jeroboam. So Jeroboam is now king of the northern kingdom, the ten tribes that are there. Verse number 26, and Jeroboam said in his heart, now shall the kingdom return to the house of Israel. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again. Jeroboam, king of Judah. You know what Jeroboam is thinking? He's thinking, oh, you know what? Every year, everybody's supposed to go to Jerusalem, and they're supposed to have the feast. They're supposed to give sacrifices. They're supposed to go there. You know what? If they go there, they might think, hey, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to serve the king, King Rehoboam. And their heart might turn back to the kingdom. So you know what? He comes up with this whole plan. He comes up with this whole plan of how he's going to create these false idols. And you don't need to go to Jerusalem, he tells the people. You can just go to these idols and you can serve and worship and sacrifice there. You know what motivated all of that? You know what motivated Jeroboam to do that? He knew the wrong thing. Even the people knew that that was the wrong thing. You know what motivated that? Fear. Fear. You know what? Everybody has a fear. Did you know that? Even the most fearless of people, they have fears in their hearts. Sometimes that's what causes relationships to fail. You fear what the other person will think of you if you just open up. You'll fear what other people will think of you if you do this in your friendship or with your relationship. You know what? There's a solution to all of this. There's a solution to the whole sequence of events that could have prevented this breaking up of this great nation. You know what the solution is? The solution is God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's something interesting that, getting back to Ezekiel, if you still have your finger there in Ezekiel, we'll spend the rest of our time in Ezekiel. There's an interesting verse there in verse number 24. There's this phrase that God uses that I think will help us in all of these different areas. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 24. And David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they all shall have one shepherd. Now, of course, David is dead by this time, right? So who is he talking about? Who is he talking about? Who is, when he says, David shall rule over them, who is he talking about? They all shall have one shepherd. Here's the solution to all of this. Because some of you might be thinking, I know that the Bible says, as a wife, that I should submit to my husband. Or as a husband, that you should love your wife. Or as a child, or a parent, or whatever relationship. You might be thinking, I know that that's what the Bible says, but I don't know if I can do that. Or I don't know if I could bring myself to do that. You know what the solution is? You need revival. Amen? 
You need Jesus to be king of your life. You need to submit yourself first to the Lord, and then all of these things will naturally happen. Because when David becomes king, the verse continues, they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Every relationship can have a revival if Jesus is king. That's what revival is. Revival is returning to the kingdom of Jesus Christ and saying, God, you are the king. I will listen to you. I will obey you. I will submit myself to you. And there won't be a struggle in the home. The husband's trying to take charge and tell everybody what to do. And the wife says, no, 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 I disagree with what you want to do. And I think we should do it this way. You know what? If both members would just say, you know what? The husband's not the boss. The wife's not the boss. God's the boss. We should listen to what God says. And guess what? The relationship will be resolved. Amen. Hey, do you know what? There's not a worry about who to please and worried about what other people will think of you, what other people will say about you. Your goal is to serve the king. You know whose opinion matters? God's. It won't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what other people do. It doesn't matter what other people do. You won't have to force it out of the other person. You won't have to fear. You won't have to do any of these things if Jesus is king of your life. So what are the results of when a revival of relationships making Jesus king what happens we have a revival of relationships in purity verse number 23 neither shall they defile themselves idols nor with their detestable things nor with any of their transgressions but I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned and will cleanse them so be my people God here's the problem is that every relationship ends up having problems and if they do, because of sin. And what God says is, when I become king, I will take care of the sin. Amen? He will forgive the sin, and ultimately, in, the, in, the, in heaven, when we get there, he will be ruler, and there will be no sin. But what God is saying is, when you make Jesus king of your life, it will help back into those things that cause the problem. Because the problem in the first place was sin. And what Jesus says, what God is saying here about Jesus is when Jesus becomes king, okay, all of those problems will be gone. So when we make Jesus king, all of those problems will be gone. Secondly, what I see is revival of relationships for posterity. Because verse number 25 says, And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever and my servant David shall be their prince forever. Now, you know who suffered the most out of all of these problems that came from the dividing of the nation? It wasn't Solomon. It wasn't David. It wasn't even Rehoboam. You know who it was? It was their kids. And their kids' kids. You know, Hezekiah even had a moment where God told him, hey, you're going you're gonna to die. Get your house in order. And he prayed to God and he said, God, I was a good king. I tried to do what was right. And God had mercy on him and he gave him 15 more years. And during those 15 years, he did some foolish things. And God says, you know what? I'm going to judge you because of this. But because you were a good king, I'm going to hold off from judging you while you're the king. But your children will have to suffer for it. You know what happens when broken relationships happen? People suffer because of it. Right? Relations, uh, people suffer because of it. 
a marriage that is broken, you're going to have some people that suffer because of it. You have some church members, should have good relationships together, amen? And we should love one another. We should serve together. We should encourage and edify one another. Hey, you know what? If we have some broken relationships here in the church, guess who's going to suffer? Hey, some, some young Christians are going to suffer because of that. Hey, our kids are going to suffer because of that. And there's going to be some other individuals that suffer because of that. But the contrary is also true. The contrary is also true. When we have some great relationships together, you know who benefits from that? Our children do. When you have a great husband and a father and uh, a husband and a father and a wife, okay? All right? Husbands and wives and fathers and mothers, and they have a great relationship together. Guess who benefits from that? The children benefit greatly from it. You know when church members have great relationships together, you know who benefits from it? Hey, visitors who come in. Hey, people who get saved and get added to the church, they benefit because of those things. And, and what Jesus is trying to say is, hey, if we would just make him king, the relationships will improve and we get some revival there and we'd have something to be able to help and to benefit the generations after us. Thirdly, what I see is the revival of relationships for proclamation. Because verse number 28, at the very end, we see what God wanted to do with the nation of Israel really all along from the beginning. Verse 28, and the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. What God wanted to do through the children of Israel is tell the world that there is a God and that it's this God. Amen? You know what God wants to do through our church? He wants to tell the world that there is a Savior and it's a Savior we serve, Jesus Christ. And you know what happens when we, as individual believers, have a revival of relationships and we have marriages that are strong and we have parent-children relationships that are strong and we have church member relationships that are strong and people walk in and they can see that we love one another and we're encouraging one another, we're edifying one another, we're helping each other to serve the Lord and, and to worship God and to do what we need and when one member suffers, we, we gather around them and we encourage them and we help them the way that we can. You know what happens? The lost world will see there is a God who loves people and maybe he's this Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sins. John chapter 13 verse 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have loved one to another. Again, you know what happens when in a church relationships are broken up? You know who loses out? It's the lost people out there. Because if you're saved, you're saved. Praise the Lord for that. You can never un be unsaved. But there are people who are lost that need to be saved. They need to hear Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. They need to know that somebody died on the cross for their sins and that he was buried and three days later he rose again from the dead. They need to see that getting saved makes a difference. And you know what happens when there are relationships here that are not quite right. When you have some people over here, they can't talk to these people over here and, and these people over here. Are not, they're not going to serve with those people over there. And we, we got our own little cliques and we got our own little groups. Instead of all being together and serving God together and, and worshiping God together, there's a lost world out there that will lose out. Hey, we need a revival in our church. Hey, growing in our relationships so that the lost can see that there is a God that loves them, that died on the cross for them wants to see.